Hello everyone, you're listening to the Brunton Bugle, the number one place to get your kinetic fix in the podcast world. I'm Lee Rooney. And I'm Mike Booth. Derby are the victors at Brunton Park, but it's not the main story in Carlisle right now, as the Piatics take over the club looks to take another step forward. We look back on the defeat of the Rams and the QOS meeting at last weekend for looking ahead to this weekend's trip to Wickham. I really, really pushed my luck with that intro there, Mike, didn't I? And I was looking at it, I was <laughs> yeah. thinking, normally it's just over three lines, and this was just on four lines, and I was like, oh. As, you, as, I was, you, as I looked at it, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to rush this. <laughs> you reminded me of Tom Piatic last night on oh. Radio Cumbria having an interview 10 minutes before kickoff, and he was trying to like speak as quickly as he possibly could because he yes. just wanted to watch the Blues. Exactly, that's what exactly they want to see, isn't it, as well? Yeah. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Yeah, very, very positive. Um, yeah. I think as we speak right now, as this has been recorded, the votes have been counted. Um mm. So, yeah, very exciting times. I mean, you know, I know we lost on Saturday, but I think there's a bigger picture going on with the club right now. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, yes, so we'll get straight into it soon. So we're, we're going to have, a, me and Mike are going to have a little discussion about the kiosk meeting and what happened there. And we, we can't, there's some bits where we're not going to go into so much detail. I think we know what bits there are, and we think we've seen that the bits that News and Style aren't going to talk about, so we're going to do similar. Um, but I think there's plenty we can talk about there. Um, we'll also then obviously review the defeat against Derby and then look ahead to the Wickham game um, but first up I've also remind you that our sponsors this season are the Cali United Sports Club London Branch of course London Branch got members all across the world Jacksonville Florida they might have some there soon you never know um, you can join if you live in Flimby you can join if you live in Formby like Mike you can join um, if you live in I don't know um, I'm trying to think of a random place in Europe then but I can't off the top of my head um, Palermo in, in Sicily if you live there you can join it yep I can't think of any other new one I'm just, let, let's leave it there shall we um, yeah so of course the London Bash they do a lot of good stuff for the club in terms of fundraising and uh, away, arranging stuff for away games so if you want to find out about them go to their website org. right then Mike um, no question of the week this week um, I haven't had a chance to sort one out uh, with um, Dan so we've got so much to fit in anyway let's get straight into it uh, news-wise, I'll tell you what. News-wise, we'll, we'll skip the first item which originally, which was talking about the uh, the meeting. I'll talk about the uh, the Cumberland Cup just to get that out of the way. So, uh, United were in midweek action, as you mentioned there in the Cumberland Cup, Mike, um, at Guildford Park, taking on um, Carlisle City. In so, I say Cumberland Cup, the Fred Conway Cumberland Cup to give it its full title. Now, I do apologise. Um, game ended a draw, one-one, but United went through four-two on penalties. Um, tough test by the sounds of thing wasn't it this yeah by all accounts some of the fringe players didn't do a ton to yeah. kind of knock Simo's door down to say that they should be playing yeah there's kind of a feeling of like no one's really shown that they're worthy of a starting place after this game is there um which is a real shame because when you look at some of the names that you would hope and some of them might be mm. knocking on the door I mean, from what I heard Jack Ellis was probably as good as anyone out there today and um, Greg Bullman, friend of the show, was there. He said that Romeo Park was the player who impressed him the most in this match. So um, well done, Romeo, for that. Um, but yeah, uh, it was Terry Ablade who got the uh, the goal for United just before half time, just into the second half. City equalised. Um, 
And yeah, went to penalties. Alfie McCalman missed for United, but then two City players missed. And uh, Jaden Harris stepped up to fire the winning penalty home. One bad bit of news from this game, then there wasn't the mic. Taylor Chart has picked up an injury. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's been an update on that yet, but uh, hopefully it's uh, it's not too long. But at the same time, I think he didn't make the bench on Saturday, did he? No, he hasn't made the bench the last few games, to be yeah. fair. I don't know if they've gone with different options. And um, yeah, it's a worry for Taylor as well because it's a hamstring injury, and we all know that that's what kept him out for about two or three months last season, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So little bit of a concern there, and hopefully it's nothing too major, but we'll just have to wait and see with bated breath on that one, but it's suggesting he'll be out for a little bit at the very least. Mm. So, yeah, re- really frustrating, but there you go. Um, well, let's talk about it then, Mike. Um, as you mentioned there, um, the votes are being counted right now, but uh, almost as anticipated as the Derby game last weekend was the first opportunity for United fans to hear from our prospective new owners, Castle Sports Group, on their plans and ambitions for United, if they are successful in their bid to take over the club, of course. So, um, yes, the Piatic family uh, met with members of Kiosk, the Sports Trust. Um, you can also watch it on a stream if you were able to attend, which was what both me and you did, um, to share their plans and give some more background on who they were. Fair to say, a lot of positivity afterwards, wasn't there, for this? Yeah, definitely. Uh, overwhelmingly so, I think. Um, I wouldn't want to make an assumption, but I think the vote is gonna go the way that we would like it to. Um and yeah. it's gonna it's gonna move forwards. Um I think one of the main things for me that stood out is his passion. Uh yeah. he seems really you know, I, I think he, he said um and I'm alright repeating this because he said it on Radio Cumbria last night, but he said um about how if if they were to make just one pound they'd be happy and that pound would just end up going straight back into the club. They're, they're not in yeah. it to make money. Um, no. They know what they're getting into. In fact, the, one of the very first things he said at the start is how passionate they are about American football and the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars or Jaguars, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and they're used to having a team that doesn't win very often and yeah. they stick with them, you know. And yeah, that's something that I'm sure that we can all relate to. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was. I think I agree with you. I think the, the question I get, look, we have no inside info on this, but just speaking to all the fans I know and members, I think at the at best you can have a handful of people who might vote against it, who their concern may be they don't like the idea of reducing the shareholding from 25% to 10% for the kiosk. And, and that's all based around the, I think it's people living a bit in the past and they're obsessed and think they that we desperately need that. And as Norman Steele said, and I thought he spoke really well actually at the meeting, he said that the trust has only used that blocking power once in the last, what, 20 odd mm. years that they've had the shares. So, it, it, how desperately needed is it? You yeah. Know, if, if we trust these people, and you have to get to a point where you think, what, what is the aim of this block? Is it just there for the sake of it? Do we want to actually accept some bit of ambition and let new people in? So, at the end of the day, would you yeah. rather own a 10% share in a successful football club that's going places or a yeah. 25% share in one that isn't? You know, 100%. for me, it's, yeah. the, it's the club that's going places. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, the meeting, hugely positive. Um, Tom Piatic Senior. Um, am I right calling that? Just Tom Piatic, the main one. It's Tom Piatic and Tom Piatic 2, isn't it? Which yeah. is the, the younger, younger one. So, we'll, we'll try and call it that way. Um he spoke for over an hour with no notes, just some presentation slides. Uh, hugely impressive, the, the amount of information he knew and had knew off the top of his head as well. Yeah. 
really, really impressed with the amount of research they've clearly done into this. Um, I mean, first up, they gave us quite a lot of uh, background on the family and their business. And I know some people sort of said, oh, do we need to know this? I think it's quite important, actually. I think it's important yeah. to know the people who are getting involved. They're not shady. They're, you know, they're, it's a genuine family business and they're very serious people, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think as well, it was quite telling um, at the end of the question and answers question session. There wasn't many questions because, no. you know, he was so thorough with his, his presentation and covering so many boxes. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really good to see actually how much they've done with their own business, how much they've invested into that, how much they, you know, they, they want to look after their workforce and how much they do in the community as well. A huge amount of stuff, yeah. wasn't it, really, that they showed up. So, yeah, definitely. Know, it, yeah. And that's that's one of the things for me. Obviously, the financial aspect of this is very welcome and it's very good, but it's the ideas and the, you know, positivity that they can bring. And sometimes just a new set of eyes. I mean, you know, we've seen the Warwick Road toilets many times and they are what they are to us but I think someone from outside coming into the club and looking at them and saying nah come on that's ridiculous do you not want to sell your big idea to them right now well I mean the Warwick be... Road piss wall 5000 um, <laughs> you know I haven't quite finished my prototype for it uh, but I know that you know they also own a technology firm in the state so maybe they'd be willing to work together on that um, join patent <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm not gonna be greedy and put a, a, a copyright on it, <laughs> if it's for the best, uh, if it's for the best. But yeah, but uh, yeah, they just seem to have a lot of a lot of positivity and ideas. And obviously, the money is one thing, but they're not just gonna aimlessly throw it in. That yeah. they want, you know, to put it in the right places and do the, the right things with it. Yeah. Uh, interesting that they said basically the businesses are debt free, all of them, and yeah. that basically they're very they're very much equity driven, and that's what they want from CUFC. They're very clear on that that they're not going to be loading debt onto the club, and I know that's what a couple of people I know wanted to ask us questions, and it got covered in that sense, so they were happy with that. Um, obviously, we, something we sort of had an idea about, but the negotiations have been going on since February twenty twenty three. They have been considering getting into professional sports clubs for about six years. They said, didn't they? I think it was that long, mm. if I remember rightly. This answering the question of why Carlisle, well, they, they've done a lot for a research, basically, and you know, looked into different clubs, looked into different you know pointers and aspects of what they wanted from a club. And I think they came to the conclusion that they, did, they didn't want to get involved in MLS or USL. They wanted to get involved in English football because they loved the promotion, they loved the jeopardy, they loved the passion and excitement. Mm. Centred in the on tradition as well. And the tradition, yep, and they sent it in on League One and League Two, um, drew up sort of a short list and have a list of five clubs. They didn't say who the other clubs were. I think they slightly hinted at Exeter might have been mm. one of them. Although I don't think they just mentioned Exeter were one of the other ones who would, didn't have too many clubs near them. But mm. um the one they said basically as soon as they did their list, Carlisle were clear at the top and the club they wanted to start to and potentially invest in. And yeah. that's got us to this point and Geography, quite incredibly, played a big part, didn't it? Yeah, you know, we've we've heard had jog, our geography for years used as an excuse as to why we're maybe not going places, but they see our, our geography and they love it and they want to use it as an advantage. The word to use where it is the biggest sports brand within 60 miles, you know, and mm. there's no real big one within 60 miles, so mm. we should be taking advantage of that and, you know, we should we can build on what we've we've got here and, you know, he had a 
unintentionally disparaging comments about Barrow. I don't think it was meant to be, but it was quite that that got a good reaction in the room at least. Anyway, oh, that was he unintentional, was it? Was it? Well, he did oh, apologise, didn't he? So. Might, is it too late to change my vote? Yeah, so the, obviously they, they mentioned that fact, and that was really encouraging. You know, he was. What did he say? We wanted to, we wanted to rule the north, was it? I think that yeah. our good friend owned the north. Very, I think owned the north. Sorry, so yeah, yeah, that's what he said, and talked about heading off in a northeast direction, didn't he? Basically, on the graph yeah. rather than a south southwest uh, southeast even. So you know, that that's really good to hear. Um, investment. So that's the key thing, isn't it? We've mentioned that yeah. before. On and off the pitch, investment is something he's very clear that, that we're going to do. And the the big thing for me, and it's something that Simo's banged on for so long, is getting a new training facility, not just for the first team, but for the first team and the academy cl- players to, to work at. Mm. And he's basically said from day one, that's the first thing I'm going to start looking at. So yeah. that's a huge positive again, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Um, and I, th- I think something as well that he seemed to insinuate was that he wants players to come to us. I mean, he didn't say these words, but this is something that I've long believed, that if we're offering a player 1,500 quid, a week and a club near Manchester say is offering a player 1500 quid a week I want a player to look around our training facilities look around our ground and say yeah this is the club I want to be at yeah. you know and, and I think you can sell the club more with things like that than just aimlessly yeah. throwing money at players 100% yeah and that brings it on to Brunton Park actually quite nicely he was very clear of his commitment to staying at Brunton Park you know they, they, they said they want to stay you know, and then they, they they mentioned this fact, and obviously you've been out that way, Mike, before that. Yeah. Um, they're in an area where hurricanes are quite rife, aren't they? That mm. you know, there's hurricane seasons, and you know, buildings have to be built to withstand these kind of things. And he said, we know about you know the bad weather, and we know that the ground floods, and you know, he again clearly done his research because he, he reeled off the, the the dates of when the floods were, didn't he, in the past. Yeah. So he said, like, we're going to do work on Brunton Park. We're going to maximise the East Stand, which is not used enough at the moment, and which he's right about. And, yeah, we're going to get to the point where these stands are built so that they're ready to withstand any potential flooding and stuff. And, you know, you basically make it a shell almost, don't you? Part of it, and you cut it out when you when you need to. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I was in Florida uh, last year during Hurricane Ian, uh, and if that had hit Brunton Park, it would have been out for months. But mm. all the theme parks and everything were just open two days later, like nothing <laughs> had happened. They're just so equipped for it over there. But I have to say, I think a lot of it with flooding is drainage and sewerage and stuff yeah. like that. And the fact of the matter is, most sewerage in this country is like, it was built in Victorian times and it hasn't yeah. been improved on since. So... How he'd go about that, I'd be quite interested. Um, yeah. There's ways you but, can deal with getting the pitch. It's more the, the buildings, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the key thing. But yeah. Yeah. Um, he has said he wants ideas on what um, what fans, um, what improvements can be done to Brunton Park, what fans want to see. Obviously, the Warwick Road and Toilets was something he mentioned straight away that we're going to sort. Um, there's other top little things I'm sure that fans will have ideas but what we're going to do is we're going to open up to listener questions for this hopefully maybe in the next week or in a couple of weeks time basically says here what what do you want to see done to the ground basically and and, and we'll we'll discuss them on the show um but yes he's, he's open up to that Simo clearly a big fan of Simo isn't he that's one thing yeah. that came out of here he talked really fondly about him and Simo's wife and he's having met them and said you know they're, they're lovely people and we really want them to be involved and you know 
he's also said that he's going to have a budget in January to to bring in players, isn't he? You know, to improve the squad. And the, the main aim is just to stay in League One this season. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and that's good. You know, he's not sort of coming in saying the aim is playoffs, you know, or anything daft yeah. like that. Um, you know, and there was no daft or oh, we'll be in the Premier League within five years or anything like that. Yeah. It was all very sensible. And hey, the long term aim is to make the club better and to get ourselves into the championship if we can. Yeah, and yeah. obviously he wants success. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's not doing it to see us go back into League Two and stay there, but, you know, he. He seems to just have the right, reasonable expectations at going into this. Yeah, the, and obviously, you know, the, the trust members have, have voted this week on whether to reduce the shareholding from twenty-five to ten percent. And we said we think that's something that just, you know, you've got to accept it's going to happen. Now, this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I think, for this club to to have someone involved who's basically going to put the capital in straight away to invest in that kind of stuff. And yeah, um, and yeah, but um, as as Matt Spooner said at the very end, though that. You know the trust could technically have a smaller stake, but you know they want the fans involved, and yeah. through the trust, I think even with a smaller stake, fans could be involved more than they have been yeah. before. Well, and the trust, the trust have hit thousand members this week. Yeah, I was just really about to say impressive. that. Yeah, which is you know phenomenal considering they were at about four hundred odd yeah. uh, two years ago. Um, so yeah, it's it's fantastic, and I, I know a load of people have joined since the vote, knowing full well that they can't sign up yeah. to vote, but they want to be involved and they want to be a part of it and hopefully more people follow suit. Definitely, that's what we really want to see. And obviously, the debt's still an issue and that was touched on and they mentioned, you know, we need to sort this out. But the impression I got from listening to it is, look, it'll get sorted one way or another. They'll, yeah. they'll have that. They're, they're the ones who are prepared to pay it, basically, aren't they? So I think, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're in an okay position there. I, I think it'll get sorted. It's just how quickly we don't know but but yeah a lot to get excited about isn't that I, I should say um we were obviously out of the meeting but greg was there uh so greg did send me a quick um it's just under 60 second review of uh, the meeting so here's what he had to say i've just came out of the supporters trust meeting and i was super impressed they spoke with passion they'd obviously done their research into the club um i feel confident that they've got the club's best interests at heart they, uh, they're not like Michael Knighton and saying that um, we're going to be in the Premier League in 10 years. They know that um, it's going to take time, but they're open and to, they're listening to ideas. And it was very, very positive. Um, I know which way I'll be voting, so up the blues. Yeah, can't really argue with that, can you? No, fair exactly. assessment. It's... <sighs> Go on, what are you going to say? Well, I was just going to say something else to add as well. Um, there was a question where they were kind of all asked uh, what they would all bring to the table because Tom yeah. Senior had obviously done a lot of talking and I think they all have such uh, a broad skill set that can yeah. only bring good things to the club and frankly any three of them would be better than the three owners we've got right now <laughs> with regards to that I think yeah definitely just uh, they, they'll, they'll all bring a lot to the table I think yeah it, it, it's exciting exciting times whatever happens isn't it really so uh yeah re- really looking forward to hopefully positive news about the vote and tom i did say to the news and sad that he hopes it'll be sorted between the 14th and 20th of october i think is when he's hoping yeah. it will be finalized so they've clearly gone through all the fit and proper person's tests right now so it's that should come up good i hope and they've said they've shown they've got the budget to fund the club over the next two seasons which is one of the things you have to prove i think isn't it with yeah the yeah fit and proper person so that's well, i good think news. the money gets ring fenced 
Yeah, as well. I think it's I think that's what they do now. I think they have to change yeah. it because of other few people. But but yeah, generally, really positive day and could be in for some exciting times, couldn't we? Definitely, and and, and a point he made as well um, that you know this club can be great with investment and all that, and without it, it can't. And it it never really dawned on me, but he's spot on there. Like yeah. you know, and and I I think in my head, oh yeah, but you know, other clubs smaller than us. I've reached the championship, but then clubs I'm thinking of, I'm thinking Yeovil, I'm thinking Scunthorpe. Where are they now? Yeah, they're in a mess, you know, aren't they, most of them. So yeah, they've spent beyond their means to get there, and then bang, they did, they manage it so badly afterwards. So it's about being exactly. efficient once you get there as well, isn't it? So exactly. Yep, exciting times, Mike, and hopefully we'll get some really good news on that soon. Um, I should yep. say actually, just before we go on to the really in the derby game as well, the tickets for the Bolton game went on sale last week, sold out the initial batch of nineteen hundred in two days. <laughs> remarkable isn't it really so they've got yeah. another batch of about 1700 i think which have just going on sale uh, well by the time you listen to this they will have gone on sale so get them snapped up and uh potentially three thousand odd carlisle fans going to the game just yeah remarkable isn't it remarkable yeah. right time to uh look back on the derby game then mike mm. United nil derby two um weird one this you come away with a defeat from a game like this you'd be quite disappointed i i, I wasn't too downhearted. I was a bit frustrated that we didn't take our chances, but I thought we played quite well in this game. Whereas I saw some comments online from some of our fans who were not happy with the performance, and I thought that's a little bit harsh. That yeah, um, it's weird. At the time, I was thinking that was not a two-nil game, mm. but Derby scored from two good chances. Obviously, one of them was a penalty, but yeah. um, we just did not create chances anywhere near that good. So. I, because uh, uh, immediately after the game, uh, I was thinking we deserve something out of it. But at the, at the end of the day, football is about taking your chances. But yeah. we use the ball well. I think it just it, it's just one of them games that show Derby are a very good side. And yeah. very good sides will get the rub of the green in that way more often than not. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. It's... it's, it's... Just feels a little bit frustrating, isn't it? But you know they, they managed the game very, very well. Second half, especially, I think they managed it excellently. So, yeah, stats-wise, it looks quite equal. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just that little bit of nous that's got them over the line in the end. Um, no changes to the lineup for this one, was there? Which didn't really surprise us. We felt it was going to be pretty much the same. Yeah. No, no, no shocks there, even on the bench either. So, as as you were, um, in terms of chances and and that kind of thing. Um, not really any clear chances for them until the goal. I mean, there was one chance for Waghorn, but it wasn't really an opportunity. It wasn't that flicked header that was, you know, comfortably went wide in the end. Mm. Um, the goal, such a scrappy one to concede, isn't it? Yeah. Really frustrating in that sense. So it's a long punt forward by the goalkeeper, flicked on. And then when I'm watching it back, Huntington and Lavelle get in each other's way, don't they? And actually, mm. I think Huntington's in a better position to head the ball clear than Lavelle is to head it out for a corner. Mm. And you look back, and I think Huntington should be the one who we should have taken charge there, or maybe Lavelle should have got out of the way. As is, Lavelle tries to head out for, for a corner and just gets nowhere near enough on it. Mendes Lang is able to nip in, and he cuts the ball back to Collins. And it's a clever finish, to be fair, because it's bouncing up, and he gets right over the ball, hits it into the ground, and past Anderson and into the back mm. of the net. And yeah, just quite frustrating that point because actually it's been fairly equal until then, hasn't it? Yeah, um, I mean there's. Maybe an argument that uh, Anderson could have done better with the initial ball in. Um, but, I mean, the shot, he had no chance, really. 
yeah, it's just, it, yeah, it's one of those ones where you wonder if maybe Hurley would come and claim that one. We will talk mm. about Anderson and Hurley in a minute, I think, because um, that's still very much a debating point. Yeah. Um, yeah, Collins then actually had a chance to potentially um, make it two with uh, when Mandy's long. I think he, he fouls Armour in this chance, but ref gave nothing. He nips in, plays the ball to Collins, and it sits up nicely, and he tries to sort of scoop it over Anderson, but he puts it well over the bar in the end. But then United had three really good chances then before the break, didn't they? And I say I say really good chances, actually. They, 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 they sort of became good chances, didn't they, really, with some dodgy goalkeeping for part of it. <clears throat> the first one, really good determination from Guy and Moxon to win the ball back. And then Guy set Gibson away down the right. He cut inside, and he hammered a dipping shot that the keeper really should be catching, shouldn't he? I think it was one of them though that kind of moved a bit in the air, so it was Did a bit awkward much? for him. Plus, I think it—I think it went past a defender or two, so you never really know if someone—if it's going to take a deflection. I don't think it moved that much. I just think the keeper just flapped it a little bit. He sort of—it's dipping and going in. He could probably catch it, and as it is, he palms it onto the bar and it bounces out, and he's hooked clear and. And then from that, there was another chance where Gibson did really well down the right and hit a low shot that went just wide of the post. And then Luke planned so close to scoring for, against his former club for the second week in a row, wasn't there? With mm. great tackle by Moxon to win the ball back, plays it into um, uh, Plange, who hits a nice curling shot from the edge of the area that beats the keeper but clips the post and goes wide. And actually, Gibson did have another Gibson had a hat trick of chances, didn't he? Actually, I forgot about this one where. Mm. He had a good shot from long range that um, the keeper palmed behind. Um, United had a penalty shot before half time. What do you think about it? Uh, I I thought it was a stone waller to be honest. Um, yeah, it, he he kind of jumped to block the cross at a very weird angle, like mm. you know. And and they say, oh, your arm needs to be in a natural position. But I think most players now they kind of cover their own arse when they're blocking crosses and they keep their arms down yeah. by the side. And he he wasn't doing that. He was, yeah. Well, apparently, Simo was told by the linesman or the the officials that it hit the player's leg and bounced up onto his hand. I've watched back the the extent or the extended highs the, the the match rerun on the iFollow, and I actually can't tell <laughs> from the angle. It's mm. very difficult to see whether it does hit his le- uh, uh, leg or not before it hits his arm. So if that is the case, then maybe I can understand it. But I'm not convinced from watching the video. I think the refs just bottled it a little bit there mm. um, as well it was in that corner by the derby fans would yeah. it have got given in front of the warwick maybe possibly maybe yeah um into the second half nowhere near as many chances for either side derby really closed the game out quite well actually to be fair um in fact i'm not even sure their keepers had a save to make second half was he actually when you think about it mm. other than maybe palming a corner behind from moxon that lavelle nearly got on the end of but bar that there was one chance for derby where anderson was in no man's land and cashing got on the end of it corner but he put his head into the side netting and then came the second goal and just another total mess at the back this one wasn't it yeah uh and i've never do you know what i've never seen us concede a penalty and all of the fans in the paddock normally were screaming at the ref that was never a penalty everyone was screaming at anderson like what are you doing there like that's definitely a penalty like yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, to, to come to Anderson's defence, there, I, I think Lavelle could have maybe cleared it. Um, well, so what happens basically is they get into the box on the right hand side, um, try to play it across, across. Which Anderson, no, sorry, 
Lavelle blocks and he sort of sits up there and bounces, doesn't it? And Lavelle leaves it for Anderson to come. I get the impression Anderson's called said mine or in that position, he's probably thinking I've got a chance to pick it up here and then get it up the pitch. But he's so slow to react to it. He just, he basically initially runs and then he slows down as he's coming to actually dive on it. Mm. And he's totally unaware of who's around him. The attacker nips in just before him and he basically bundles him to the ground because he's trying to dive on the ball. And mm. it, yeah, like I said, it's a stonewall penalty. And you can see how frustrated both Finback and uh, Paul Huntington are on the coverage, actually, if you watch them. They both turn around in frustration, like, oh, for God's sake, they, they know it's a penalty straight away. There's not even an argument from anybody. And yeah, Collins steps up and smashes it in off the bar and then nearly gets a hat-trick as well. Not long after that, he had a chance in the box where he twisted and turned, but he put his curling shot off over the bar and um, that was it, really. Um, Mm. But going back to that penalty, um, that's two penalties he's given away now, Anderson. And as far as I can recall, Holy has never given away a penalty. Trying to think off the top of my head, I think the only penalties we've conceded when Holy was in nets were goals where he didn't, well, one where he didn't concede it. That's what, um, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and my problem is that both of them are coming. Yes, there's an argument maybe the defenders are at fault in terms of, you know, the throwing back and leaving the ball, but mm. he's just far too slow to react. He's got to be quicker in that situation. But, you know, the, defenders have made mistakes in front of Holy, and he hasn't brought people down and given away penalties yeah. when it's happened. Yeah. I mean, Huntington played the ball back past him for an own goal, but, mm-hmm. you know, that nothing he could have done there, really. And, yeah, there's the argument the Walsall one where you know where he missed up, messed up, and um, and yeah, basically. Oh, he's, he's made mistakes, yeah, but yeah, you know, he hasn't brought a striker down for a penalty. I don't think yet. Did he? In the, I'm trying to think in the FA Cup game against Walsall. Was that a penalty for that? I'm trying to work this out now. I'm just while we're while we're doing this, I'm just basically. Oh, it, m- it might have been actually. I think that was immediate. Immediately after his... No, it wasn't a penalty. When he lost Sorry, to I'm, just, I'm just looking ah, okay. at it. Yeah, yeah. They did score, but it wasn't a penalty there. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that that was probably the only game, really, where you'd say you had an absolute aberration of a game, really, wasn't it? So, it's... Yeah. Look, he's not perfect. And I don't know if we're ever going to claim that, but we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. Um, mm. But, yeah, generally... Uh, in fact, we'll tell you what. We'll do We'll do um, the six-second reviews first, actually, before we go and talk about our habits, because there might be some bits in there that we're going to talk about. So, yeah. Uh, First up, um, I'm going to start with Andy Lee, who sent us one in via Facebook. Thank you very much, Andy. Really appreciate it. This is the first time, 60-second reviewer. Um, he just If anyone else wants to do this in the future, drop us a message on there or drop us a, a message on Twitter and we'll sort out getting it on WhatsApp instead because mm. it just means the sound quality is a bit better. So, uh, yeah, well, here's Andy's uh, six-second review. This is my first 60-second review. I thought I'd give it a go. In an encouraging first-half performance, I thought the set-pieces were a waste, in particular our corners. Five corners in the first half we had, and they all seemed to struggle to get past the near post. We were also denied a penalty for a clear handball. Anywhere else on the pitch, that's penalised, so I was baffled as to why it wasn't given. We also hit the woodwork twice, and Gibson flashed wide before the break. I think the second half, we were more off it, with the subs not having the effect they had the last few games. However, at 1-0, I felt we were still in it. Then a rash decision from Anderson gave Derby the opportunity from the spot to double the lead, which I did, and extinguish any hopes of getting back into the game. However, I do feel 2-0 flattered them, especially considering the first-half performance, and Gibson really deserved his man of the match, with Sam Lavelle running him a close second. Anyway, onwards to Wickham next weekend, and up the Blues. That's a really thorough report there from Andy, I have to say. He actually, he's picked out a few of the points that I put down to, to, yeah, to, yeah. to be fair. So, so I mean, well, starting off with those, um, set pieces, 
bang on the money. I thought our set pieces were awful in this game. Yeah, they were. Really poor. Bar that one corner I mentioned from Moxon, I struggle to think of a, a decent taken free kick or corner in the game. Moxon especially. Hitting the first man on so many of the corners, wasn't he? It was just really yeah, frustrating. Yeah. Now, I've never known him be so poor in a game at set pieces, to be honest. Yeah. And apparently, um, according to whoscored.com, he was one of the match. For us, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think James Collins got it overall, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's... Yeah, it didn't, it's a strange one, that one, isn't it? Um, in terms of subs, I think he's he's bang on the money there as well, to be fair. I, I, it, they've, they've had a, such a good impact in recent games. I actually thought they disrupted our flow a little bit, I felt, in this game. Yeah, I, think. I mean, I yeah. was I was saying before Oblade came on that it, it wasn't the game for him because Derby were not playing a high line. They were sitting quite yeah. deep and he had no chance of sort of running him behind and causing him problems. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you would think that an Edmondson, a big presence in the box, that would be more of a game for him. But he didn't do much either. I'm not sure how much I can blame Edmondson for that. I, I felt because we'd gone to almost a four-four-two by then, and mm. we just didn't have. It was more of a four-two-four, to be honest. Yeah, but we didn't have a grip on the game, did we? Really, that was mm. the problem. Because obviously, when when the first subs were made, um, the, the change was basically to um, to bring off John Mellish um, and. Uh, Luke Plange, so Maguire stayed on, and um, and yeah, Gibson dropped back into midfield, didn't he? Because we'd gone four three three during the, the first mm. half, where Mellish put into midfield, and Maguire and Gibson went out wide. He decided to plunge, and it worked. That certainly had an impact. You know, we, we had a positive impact on the game, but uh, I, I felt taking John off didn't really have the, the desired effect. Really, I felt we, we we weren't winning the ball as much, and Gibson Gibson did not see the ball as much second half because actually. That's another point there. Gibson was man of the match, wasn't he? I thought he had an excellent game in this one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, man of the match by a million miles. And I think his versatility is a big plus that, you know, like with Mellish, you know, you can move him into a different yeah. role and change your... Uh, yeah. Oh, hang on. Check your emails. Oh, oh, hang on. This is live as we're recording here. Let me, let me just... Uh, wait one second. Right, so this is going to sound very disjointed, this bit, because we've had to pause the recording just for a second there while we uh, checked our emails. Um, because the results come in from the Kiosker vote. So should we get should we sort out the, the Derby review first and then we'll very quickly cover that, basically. So we, we were just, rather than a, this is live as it's happening, really, but it doesn't, doesn't make any difference because you listen to a podcast. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, but yes, so, um, so right, let's let's... Carry on. What were we talking about? I can't remember now. We were talking about Jordan Gibson. We were Jordan Gibson. Yeah, so he's been fantastic this season. You, and you're yeah. right, his versatility has been amazing. Um, is he one of the ones you start looking at thinking we need to get him maybe tied down on a longer deal because he's shown he can do it at this level, hasn't he? I would, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm a fan of his, but in the summer when his contract was up, well, we thought it was up, but he triggered mm. an option. Um he was one of them, to be perfectly honest. You know, we're on the fence, but, weren't we? Yeah, you know, because he wasn't starting a lot of games at that time, and I was like, well, if he stays, he stays. If he goes, he goes. But we've said all along that there's some players who are better at League One level than League Two, and I think mm. he's certainly proven to be one of them. Definitely, definitely. Right, uh, let's have Young Craig's uh, six-second review for this game. So here is Craig talking about the match. Hi, I'm Craig, and this is my 60-second review. <laughs> said that just for you, Greg. Well, it really was similar to most games. Could have won, but we didn't score when we had the chance. 
which was a shame because I thought we were the side that deserved a win after, to be fair, in the first half we were definitely on top and we put up a really good fight in the second half. There were just two really bad goals to concede. It's almost holy. And now that's two pens conceded by Anderson. I thought the first half especially, they couldn't handle Gibson and that Callum Guy played really well against people that, to be fair, were twice the size of him. I thought that the ref was poor and if we'd have gotten pen for the handball, it was a completely different game. But it happens so often where we see that we're just the better side, but we can't score. I definitely thought Gibble was man of the match and I was pleased to get him see it. But, I mean, overall... I didn't think it was a performance, a poor performance, not by a long shot, but it would have been better if we'd have scored, you know, on to the next one, up the blues. And I should say, that was under 60 seconds, well done, Craig, 56 <laughs> seconds, because his last one was 104 seconds, so he's balanced it out over the two, isn't he, so well done, lad. Yeah. In all seriousness, no, good review again, and a couple of little interesting points there. Callum Guy, I agree, had a fantastic game as well. He's another one who's really stepped up at this level, hasn't he? He's, he's yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, brings us on quite nicely to the next talking point then Mike uh, the goalkeeper debate which yeah. I think is starting to intensify again isn't it um, oh, he's very much at fault for the penalty isn't he I think Anderson I think we agree with that um, yeah. I've also got a, co- a concern about him com- commanding his area I look back at that chance I mentioned before about cashing mm. with the header at the far post that hit the side netting that's the one where I look and think Thomas Shirley comes out and plucks that out of the air yeah and I know Holy's biggest, that gives him the advantage, but Anderson's not that small. No, I think he's about 6'4", 6'5", isn't he? Yeah, so, and he, I'm just not convinced at the moment. I think there's a very good shot stopper in there, a very good shot stopper, but the other part of his game, his kicking's not that great. It's okay. Um, I know people will come by, oh, Holy put the ball out a lot of time, but Holy got the ball off the pitch a lot as well. Mm. <laughs> it's very rare that he would scuff it, you know? So it's, it's Often with his weaker foot as well. Exactly, exactly. Um... Yeah. I what has he offered so far that Holy doesn't? That's the thing. Maybe he's a bit more, bit more agile, a bit more of a shot stopper. But at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm very on the fence on this one as to what we do. Yeah, I, th- I think it's worth noting as well that you know last week at Stephen and G had an, an incredible game and uh, basically got us a point. So I think dropping him off one bad game would be a bit harsh. Um, but I think. I mean, we said at the time with the Port Vale game, I think it's maybe a call that Simmer wanted to make, but I think he made it at the wrong time. I think Holly hadn't done a lot wrong going yeah. into that game. And that the problem is that puts then pressure on Anderson to be solid and, you know, doing his job from, from day one, isn't it? And obviously we saw yeah. the game against Port Vale. I know he defended him and I get that. I get Mellish is slightly to blame for the goal as well, at least there maybe, but I still think he can do better. I think he can definitely do better on the penalty for this one. Um, yeah, for me, I think he'll stick with him, and I think he's probably right to stick with him for now. But for me, that's pretty much all the credit he had in the bank gone. If he makes another mistake like that, if he gives away another penalty, then Thomas Soder's got every right to go and knock on the re- on Simo's door and say, I'm "Not being funny here, but I never gave away any penalties, and I'm sitting yeah. waiting here for my chance." So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a while now. Uh, 28th of November is when we play Reading away, which yeah. Holy will have to play in, providing yeah. he's fit. Um, I don't know if there's any international breaks in the meantime. There's, well, there's one, the Leighton Orient game that weekend, so there's an international break that weekend. So potentially, if Anderson yeah. gets called up, I don't know if he will, to be honest, based on the performances we've seen so far. Yeah. But it's, um, 
Yeah, there's, there's definitely a debate to be had there. And look, I can only go on what I hear from other fans, and I don't think other fans are wholly convinced by uh, Anderson yet either. So, no. Still plenty of work to do there, I think it's fair to say for him. Um, just a couple of more points before we move on, Mike. Um, uh, what about Finn Backer? A few people at the game saying that they weren't convinced by his performance and not really sure if, if he's made the step up to this level yet. What do you think? Well, it's interesting because um, I took my mate Tom, obviously, who uh, is a mm. neutral, um, and he, he said he was quite impressed with Backer in the second half. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Mean, I think Backer's issue is he's... He's set himself a very high bar, hasn't he, at the end of the day. And I think he's still been getting up to speed um, following that injury and his fitness issues. Um, but I feel like around about now, he should be pretty much at it. Um, but yeah, I, for me, he hasn't done much wrong. Uh, I think, you know, there's maybe a case that he hasn't, you know, been excellent uh, in doing a load of stuff right. But I'd, he hasn't done a lot wrong for me. Yeah, I feel like I think he did so well that first half of the season last season because he's not been quite as adventurous getting forward and things like that. Mm. It feels a little bit disappointing at the moment, and maybe we are being a bit harsh there. I think it's just frustrating the amount of times I see him get into positions and I think, right, just just put the ball in the box there, and he stops and he cuts back and plays it to another player, and you're like, oh, just just have a little go. I'm not saying you have to do it every time, but he just doesn't do it. He never really puts crosses into the box at all, does he? Mm. In comparison to Armour, who Armour will put the ball into the box if he's in a good position to do it. So, Is that tactical, uh, though? Like, maybe, from the manager? Maybe, I don't know. But if, if Armour's doing it, then why wouldn't Back be doing it? I don't mm. it's, it's, it's an unusual one, isn't it? Um, you'd think it's more likely that Armour wouldn't because you'd have Mellish, you know, over and underlapping him and getting forward. So, yeah, it... There's a bit of debate. I, I think I'd stick with him for now, but I think Jack Ellis maybe start at some point. He'll be, again, knock on the manager's door. It sounds like he couldn't do from the City game, but, you know, knock on the manager's door and say, am I worth a chance here, maybe? So, mm. I don't know. Um, just quickly before we get on to looking at the League 1 results, Derby, thoughts on them? Um, I, I, I thought they were a very good side. I, I think, you know considering you know i can see the case why we're the better team but very good teams win games like that and yeah. and they did that and i think like craig said as well they're a big team which yeah. at this level it'll make you versatile against the teams that like to hoof it a bit as well and yeah i think they'd be yeah. capable of playing that way but they're also very capable of playing football yeah. as well i mean even mendes lang on on the wing you know, he's a big lad isn't he i didn't yeah. realize how big he was i hadn't seen him for so many years and like wow yeah, he's quite big and physical, isn't he? So yeah, he was very impressive. And and Collins in it with him, you've got a striker who's going to score goals. You give him chances, haven't you? So yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of understand it. So so yeah, I, I'd expect them still to be right up there at the end of the season. I think they they're professional enough to ground out results in games like that against teams like us, aren't they? So yeah. Fair place. Right, let's have a quick rundown through the League One results before we wrap up the first half of the show, Mike. Um, starting off uh, in Lancashire at Blackpool for Reading one. Um, yeah, gotta gotta say it's uh, not not a great time for Reading at the moment. Isn't it? I saw a video of their manager apologising to their fans after the game as well. Um, mm. Not the greatest. I should say actually, there were some Reading fans on our train up, wasn't there? We were changing the press, and they got off, and we took their table that we had booked, and we got cracking to a couple of really spot on Derby fans, didn't we? Really, really good lads, to be fair. Just yeah, the yeah. off chance of listening. So, uh, yeah, decent lads. Um, Bolton won, Peterborough won. Um, 
two teams you'd expect to be up challenging for the playoffs at the end of the season at the very least. Yeah. I think Wigan have hit a bit of a patch of thought, uh, poor form since we mm. drew against them, haven't they? They've not really got the, too many good results. Um, Bristol Rovers 4, Wigan 1 in this one. Um, yeah, not, not a great day out for them. Burton 1, Fleetwood 1, two teams struggling near the bottom, cancelling each other out. Pretty similar to Fleetwood getting the result against us, really, isn't it, in that sense? Mm. Uh, Cambridge 1, Port Vale 1, Charlton 3, Wickham 1. Obviously, we're playing against Wickham this weekend. Cheltenham set a new EFL record, nine games without a goal at the start of the season. Yeah. Lost three against home against Stevenage. They could well go all the way to December till they play us to finally score. You know, you know it's going to happen now. You know, you've yeah. said that. So, uh, so yeah, not a great time to be a Cheltenham fan, and they're obviously still looking for a new manager, having sacked Wade Elliott. And I think whoever goes in there just got a firefighting job just to try and get some goals as much as anything. It's mm. it's, it's a really tough one for them. Uh, Late Norwich one, Shrewsbury nil. Shrewsbury again having a little bit of a struggle at the moment, are they? They're not really been able to find form. Northampton one, Barnsley two. Barnsley have really started to find their feet now. Oxford United three, Exeter nil. Oxford are flying, aren't they? Mm, it's beating really us. Mm. Quite remarkable their turnaround. And finally, Portsmouth 2, Lincoln 1. And that's it for the first half of the show, Mike. We'll take a short break and then we'll be back with the second half of the show where we're going to preview the Wickham game, but we're also going to talk about the results of the kiosk. Uh, what's, it, what's it called? Kiosk vote. <laughs> I forgot the word, was it? The kiosk vote. Hi, I'm Owen Moxon and you're listening to the Brunton Bugle. Yes, we're into the second half of the show, Mike, and let's start off with that then, shall we? Uh, the kiosk vote, the, the results of that. Uh, they've come in, um, and let me just quickly load up again just to make sure I get this right. So 699 people voted out of about 850 or so, I think, were eligible to vote. Um, so a very good turnout. Yeah. Um, but more importantly than that, the overall result, 687 in favour of reducing the shareholding from 25.4, whatever it is, down to 10%. And uh, 12 voted against it. So 98.2% of the vote was in favour of the resolution to reduce the shareholding. So, as it stands, it's all steam ahead, isn't it, for the uh, takeover? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's brilliant. And a brilliant turnout for for the Trust as well. Um, I think a lot of uh, votes uh, in the past have probably had a turnout of about... 20% or so so yeah, uh, yeah br- brilliant and we can hopefully push on now and hopefully the target of mid-October can be uh, achieved yep that's what we're home for we're really praying for that anyway but there you go um, right on to the second half of the show we're going to preview the Wickham game and up first we've got behind enemy lines uh, this week I'm speaking to George from the Wickham Way podcast I say I am because I haven't actually recorded this yet so uh, this is a, it's one of these weird ones where we're recording our episode before we record behind enemy lines. But there you go. Um, yeah, so George from the Wickham Way. Uh, what are we talk? What, what, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about how uh, they've recovered from losing their long-serving manager last season. Uh, some thoughts on their own American owners because they've had American owners for a few years now, and whether they can get back into the championship again. So here's the chat I had with George. So yes, we're back for this week's Behind Enemy Lines section, and this week we're talking to a Wickham fan. It's George, who runs the Wickham Way Twitter account. George, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. No problem at all, no problem at all. Um, well, let's get into it. Let's talk about Wickham Wanderers, and an obvious place to start for us seems to be to talk about uh, last season and, and Gareth Ainsworth's departure. Obviously, he's been in charge for 12 years and became such an integral part of the club, and you think about it over a third of your life in the Football League has been with him as manager. Um, 
how much of a wrench was it to see him go after so long and, and what kind of legacy did he leave behind? Uh, I mean, for a fan my age, uh, Gareth Ainsworth is all I've ever known at Wickham. Um, I think that was what was hardest to, to come to terms with and sort of going to be seeing somebody else in the dugout. Um, you know, what he did for our football club was unbelievable, really, from the, the depths of League Two all the way up to the Championship. Um, and he was one of those people who you just thought was going to be here forever. Um, you know, we, we never sort of thought he'd move on, um, especially not in those sort of circumstances. Last season, we were in terrific form under him. I think we won five in a row. We were the informed team in the league. And I think if he had stayed with us, we would have been, um, we've had a red hot crack up promotion. Um, so I think that the, the timing of it was the weirdest part of it. But, you know, we, the club have transitioned perfectly since. I think that Bloomfield was the right person to bring in. Um, so I, I don't think we're, we're missing him too much. Um, but certainly last season, when you look at the, the drop off in form, there was a, a big sort of issue that had to be solved when he left. It's, it's one of those ones where most other clubs he might not have gone to, but Creepyow with his uh, links as a, his playing days always meant it was going to be a, a tough to not to sorry to stop him from going there. Yeah, he, he was always very open with his future, and um, you know he never shied back from the fact that there was always two or three clubs that if they came looking for him in the right circumstances, then he'd, he'd be on the first bus there. Mm. Uh, QPR and Blackburn being two of those. Um, and I don't think any Wickham fans would begrudge him of the opportunity. Um, you know, he, I think he turned down the job on numerous occasions beforehand. Um, and so I think he must have felt that the timing was right for whatever reason. Um, you know, he, he's gone there, he's, he's doing a fine job this season. And, um, you know, Wickham is still in a good place. So, you know, no one's really complaining too much uh, based yeah. on that. So, as you mentioned there, you replaced uh, Ainsworth with someone who was a long-serving player under Ainsworth, uh, Matt Bloomfield, who had only just been appointed as Colchester United manager, and you came in and uh, brought him back to Wickham. Um, was he a bit of a surprise in terms of appointments, or was it always kind of a fear? Because obviously he wasn't very experienced, but was he the obvious choice? I think for a club like us, you know, obviously having Ainsworth here for so long and he, he instilled a brilliant culture at Wickham. And I think the key part was to keep that culture going. Um, you know, I think it would have been a risk to bring in an outside manager um, who was, you know, the, the good work that Ainsworth had done to build that squad and build the culture may have been disrupted. Um, so even before the links were there with Bloomfield coming back, I think most fans secretly would have wanted him back. And, you know, as it, as it turned out, there was probably a, a clause in the contract, which meant if Wickham came knocking and wanted him back, then he would, you know, it'd be easier for us to get him in. Um, for me, he was certainly the number one choice. Um, and I, I think the club overall, looking at where we are now, um, have made the right decision. Yeah. In terms of the summer recruitment, are you happy enough with who he's brought in? Who, who are some of the key players you brought in this summer? I think it's been our busiest window for a good few years um, and we've really utilised the loan market well. Um, you know, five players on loan from Premier League clubs um, who really might have been getting minutes uh, here and there, especially in cup competitions. Um, I think Freddie Potts has been the standout loanee so far this season um, on loan from West Ham. Uh, I know he featured a couple of times in the, the Conference League last season. Um, so I think it was a little bit of a surprise to get him in. Um, especially under uh, an inexperienced manager like Bloomfield. 
Uh, you know, yeah. some of his signings have actually been really, really, really promising. Um, signings that have come in to suit a new system. Um, I know Wickham Rotten labelled with the, the long ball team under Ainsworth. I think Bloomfield has done his best to sort of move away from that. You know, there's still sort of the directiveness about us, yeah. um, you know, the long ball here and there, but it's much more sort of progressive, I would say. It's not long balls for the sake of it. It's working the angle and, and working the option. Um, so, you know, two brand new wing backs in, in Kane Vincent Young um, and Harry Boys have, have been sort of decent so far, but I don't think they've hit the levels that they, they will hold of themselves. Um, uh, and, you know, experienced heads like Luke Leahy and Richard Keogh. Uh, Luke Leahy, one of the, the better centre mids in League One for the past sort of five or six years, really, um, at Shrewsbury and Bristol Rovers. Um, and Richard Keogh has come in off the back of promotion with Ipswich Town. Um, and so, you know, with his CV, it's always good to have somebody like him in the dressing room as, I say, a cheerleader, really. You know, he's there as one of the the, the prominent characters with an experience there to sort of, you know, keep the, the younger lads on the ground. It's funny you mentioned Richard Keogh because he was actually my next question because obviously it's his second spell at Wickham and he actually had two spells at Carlisle as well as a player. In fact, it, we were supposed with the club where he sort of kick-started his career really in terms of getting his move to Coventry. Um, obviously, he's not, not getting any younger. He's what, 36 now, I think, is he? And he's obviously had that really bad knee injury. But is he still playing quite a big contribution to, to you guys this season? Uh, I think he's played more than most of us would have thought. Um, you know, he, he was our first signing of the window. Um, and I, I think the term that most people use was underwhelming. Uh, but, you know, you, you see the minutes he has played this season uh, and you can see why he's been brought in. Um, Scott Mitchell, who was the, the head of recruitment at Ipswich for the last few years, um, that was sort of his first signing. So, again, it's a, a familiar face for him. Um, you know, he's played mostly sort of cup minutes um, and sort of when we're trying to close out a game after winning 1-0, he'll come on for the final 20 minutes and help us see it out. Um, but actually, you know, considering his age, uh, respectfully, he's actually been a sort of a really good player for us so far this season. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to get a really good reception from the Carlo fans of the team at the weekend because he was a popular player with us uh, when he was here. Um, so what's your aims for this season? I mean, a couple of years ago, you obviously were in the Championship, as you mentioned before. And last season, you, you formally dropped off a bit after Ainsworth left, so you missed out on the playoffs. Can you challenge for a top six this season? Uh, I'd like to think so. I, I don't think that's the expectation amongst the fan base. Um, you know, I'm sure behind the scenes, the coaching staff and the players will want that top six spot. But, but I think most of the fans are just wanting a, a you know a stable season, and um, you know, sort of fed some of the new players in. Um, because I think we've handed out a, a few contracts at three or four years this summer. Mm. Um, so it's sort of about finding that sort of stable ground. Um, you know, I don't think people would be too disappointed at mid-table finish. But obviously, if come May we're, we're challenging near the top six, then absolutely you would take that. Yeah, all right. I will give you a little bit of a positive thing here. Mike on our podcast when we did our preseason previews, he predicted you guys to finish second. So he he's he's got faith in you, if no one else has at least. Anyway, we were giving him some stick in the first couple of games, saying, "Oh, you might have messed up here, mate, big time." But I think he's feeling a bit more confident now about it. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're quite closely linked as clubs in a weird way, uh, Carlisle Wickham, because your first ever game in the Football League, of course, was uh, against Carlisle, wasn't it, back in 1993? And I understand you guys have got a, a kit out this season, which is a, a remake of that kit. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a humdinger, actually. Uh, you know, <laughs> Touchwood, there's been a few sort of uh, manufacturing issues with it, so it's currently sort of been pulled off sale. 
um, and everyone's complaining about it. Um, but actually, it, it's a it's a gorgeous kit to mark 30 years in the EFL. Um, yeah, there's a rumour that we couldn't sort of go back to it in recent years because Gareth Ainsworth is colour blind, um, <laughs> so he wouldn't he wouldn't let us have a, a, a green kit. Um, so it's sort of a it's funny that as soon as he's sort of out the door, um, we've moved to it straight away. But I, I think it's fitting for the 30th year anniversary. Uh, uh, yeah, it is a gorgeous kit. Yeah, because our kit this season is kind of it's a slight tribute to our kit from that season. It's, it, it's a sort of mix of that season and the season before. So it's and, it, and again, it's been very popular like yours has. Um, American owners, I want to talk about them because you might have seen in the news with us this week that um, we're potentially on the verge of being taken over by the Piatic family, who are a family based in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, in the USA. Um, everything that they've said so far and all the presentations and meetings they've had with the fans have been hugely positive and really well received. You guys have been owned by an American family or a red company for a few years now, I think, haven't you? So how how's that gone down with you guys? How's it, how's it been? Uh, largely very positive, uh, you know, especially off the pitch. Uh, you can't fault mm-hmm. anything that they've done. Um, I, th- I think they came in with a with a game plan to make the club sustainable. Um, you know, Rob Kubig is sort of mid seventies now, um, so I think he's sort of slowing down what he's got to do with the club. Um, there's been rumours of him maybe looking at offers to sell the club on, um, but I think certainly from his point of view, you know, he, he's a businessman, and um, he's made a profit on the club. But actually, for us as a, a fan base, he, he's done a lot for the club um, to sort of make it worthwhile going forward for a, a, a new owner and um, you know on the pitch we've sort of stagnated a few years maybe because the money's been put elsewhere to make the club sustainable for the, the next two or three years which you know at, at this level is important you know we've been looking at South End and, and Scunthorpe nowadays all it takes is is you know one bad bloke in the in the building and yeah. it can all go tits up um so you know Touchwood is, is a really good bloke um a few odd comments here and there, um, but I think that sort of comes from his culture. Uh, there was one last week um, where he sort of said that the fans have got no excuse to not be at the games while he's <laughs> charging £30 for a ticket in the third tier and we've only having yeah. 4,000 fans at home. So, you know, the, the odd comment here and there which, which riles some people up, but on the whole, actually very, very um, positive. Yeah, um, just one more quick one about the um, in terms of your, your squad. Who, who are the sort of? Well, as I mentioned, the new signs you brought, but who is sort of the danger men to watch out for the weekend in terms of the squad overall? Um, it's a weird question actually because the the danger man this season has been our centre backs. Uh, yeah. You know, all six five plus uh, have been getting on the end of Luke Leakey's um, yeah, set pieces. Um, I think only Sam Vokes in our front line has scored so far this season. Um, oh, wow. I think so far, Brandon Haddon hasn't scored a goal. Uh, I beg your pardon, Dale Taylor has. Um, but the strikers haven't been too prolific, really. Um, and we have been relying on set pieces a little bit. Um, you might have seen that Joe Lowe was in the contention for the, the golden boot, according to some um, League One accounts early in the season. Uh, so he, he's a big lad, six foot six, at 21 years of age. You know, he, he just loves to get in the box and sort of bully the defenders to get on the end of a set piece. Um, yeah. So I think if we are to have any success um, at the weekend uh, against a team that I'm sure we're going to sort of bring a physical battle, uh, that's going to be our way through. Yeah. Um, so the fans coming down to Adams Park this weekend, what can they expect? Is it you know because obviously from what I can understand it from what I remember last time actually going, it, it, it's quite a distance from the centre of the town, isn't it? Your ground. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, really. <laughs> it's in the at the end of an industrial estate, sort of nowhere near the town centre. Uh, the nearest pub is a, a 15-minute walk away. Right. Um, so it's not the most glamorous of away days. Uh, but, you know, we don't enjoy it too much either. Um, you know, it's, it's nowhere near the train station, nowhere near the Wellerspoons. Um, so it's a, you know, a bit out of the way, a bit of a trek to get to. Um, but the club have made a big deal about uh, hosting a family day uh, as part of this season. So um, a lot going on for the, the Litlands. Uh, so hopefully the, the Carlisle fans coming down can, uh, can get involved in that as well. Yeah, definitely. And from the couple of times I've been, it's, it's a very picturesque ground to go to, the very least, anyway. It's nice trees around it as well. So it's at least it's, it's in a fairly, fairly nice looking setting when you're in the ground. But uh, there you go. Um, George, you've been very generous for your time. Thank you very much. Before you go, can you give me a prediction for this weekend's game? Well, um, yeah, the, the club have banged on about putting in a good performance for the, the younger fans coming down. They're, they're desperate to, to keep hold of the, the families coming down for the game. So I'm, I'm hoping for a good prediction. I'm going to go for a 2-0 with you. George, thanks for your time and all the best for the rest of the next season. Rest of this season, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so there you go. That's the chat that I had with George ahead of this weekend's game. Mike, Wiccan Wanderers this weekend. We said this was a run of games, didn't we? That we thought were going to be really tough, actually, when yeah. we looked at it, didn't we? Um, what's your thoughts going into this one? Because they've... They had a not a great result of the weekend. They lost three one at Charlton, but they'd been on a five game unbeaten run before that, and they've been in the championship fairly recently. They were just outside the playoffs last season. It's a long way trip as well. This is a real test for us, isn't it? To show where we are again, once again this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, much to my humiliation, I earmarked Wickham as a very good team for this season. But I think you look at the squad and. I, I do stand by that and this is the kind of game that I would absolutely rip your arm off for a point to be honest with you I mean you you did predict they were going to finish second at the start of the season yeah. which we did mock you a bit for and after the first couple of games we were mocking you even more because they had some <laughs> pretty dodgy results but actually since then they've picked up a little bit haven't they when you look at the the results they're um I mean, they're currently sitting in 11th place uh, on 13 points uh, having played eight games so Technically, three points behind Exeter is sitting in uh, sixth place with that game in hand. So, yeah, I think they'd probably be fairly satisfied with their start of the season, wouldn't they? I think when you look at the recent results as well. Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think there's always the risk when you've been relegated that you can, uh, you know, struggle to get back to winning ways in a new division. Um, And, yeah, they're not... (laughs) down in the bottom half but I think also on the other side of the coin when you've got got relegated you want to you want to bounce back and they haven't quite done that yet no absolutely it's, it's tough on though isn't it because they're, they're one of those clubs who would probably anticipate having a bit of a battle to stay in the championship so coming down is maybe not as much of a surprise as it would be for mm. like a, a Sheffield Wednesday or someone like that mm. um so looking through their well, transfer activity over the summer Mike um any names stand out to you Richard Keel, obviously, uh, yeah. former Blue. Um, and I think a lot of teams, you know, we've seen ourselves with Huntington, you need an experienced centre-half who's, uh, you know, Keogh's spent most of his career at championship level. Um, so I think he, he'd be an asset at this level, really. Um, Luke Leahy from Shrewsbury, I think he was their player of the season last year. He's captain as well, yeah. Yeah, really good player. Um, another one is Harry Boys from Sheffield United. He, because hmm. uh, I half thought that we might be in for him at one point because he played for um, 
Oh, where was Greg at before he was with us again? Solly Hull. Yeah. Solly Hull. Oh, he was yeah. at Solly Hull uh, on loan from Sheffield United. And he was you mentioned in... him a lot. You've mentioned him a few times, I remember, actually. The next yeah, he was in National that. League um, Team of the Year. Is it left wing back? Um, mm. Yeah, uh, I think he, he's he's another good player, I think. Um, you know, And in addition to the players they've already got, they're a very good team on paper. Mm. Kean Brecken's another one, isn't it? I think you, uh, a lot of people have, um, have highlighted it from Man City. He's meant to be very, very well thought of at City, so that to get him in is quite a, an impressive one. Some fans might remember his dad, Ian Brecken, actually, funny enough, who uh, played in the Football League as well. Um, Kieran Sadley as well was someone who was actually linked with us briefly on deadline day, wasn't he? He got released mm. from Bolton and he's turned up there. So, um, yeah... That, some interesting names in there. They've, they've certainly used the loan market a fair bit as well. Um, in terms of players going out, they've not. Actually, a lot of teams in this division have lost some players to bigger clubs and stuff. And I look and I think to myself, other than maybe Lewis Wing to Reading and maybe a Jordan Abita, I, I, I imagine their names are not that fussed. They've lost really. Yeah, in terms exactly. Of departures. Yeah, There's not exactly. really anyone that stands out. So. Yeah, I think they'll be fairly happy with that. Looking at their squad overall, uh, any other names that stand out to you? Um, Sam Vokes, obviously, mm. uh, massive name to have. Uh, David Wheeler as well. Yeah, he's, um, God, he's been around for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, and yeah. Gareth McCleary's quite an experience. It's forward, isn't he? As well, you know, he's one mm. of those names that you always see. And is he? He's the one. I'm just checking here while we're, we're talking. I'm trying to know if he's the one who um, was at. Uh, was he at Forest? No just idea. Double check. He's someone like that, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was. He was not even Forrest. 111 games, 13 goals. But he's a Reading as well. We spent a lot of time. Mm. So, again, he's an experienced player. He was a Jamaica international back in the past as well. So, yeah, so, certainly someone to to keep an eye on. Uh, tricky winger on his day. Um, and, yeah, even in defence, you know, Jason McCarthy's quite experienced. Joe Jacobson's been there forever, hasn't he, I think? Yeah. Just double-checking really how long has he actually been there. Because I feel like he's... I think he might have even been there longer than... Um, Ainsworth, wasn't he? I think could be wrong on that. Maybe no. I think he was there for pretty much all of Ainsworth's time. Twenty fourteen, he joined. So he's celebrating his tenth season basically with them. I think this year. So incredible that three hundred twenty games, thirty seven goals for them. So he he's one again. You know, you'd expect to be a really important part. But yeah, you're right. Plenty of quality throughout the squad, isn't there? And um, it's a hard one for us to judge because we obviously don't see them that often. But yeah, just when you look through the names straight away, you think yeah. I think it's probably one of them where it's a case of some of the new players just need a bit of time to time to gel, and yeah. it's normally around October that they start to gel and they start to go on a bit of a run. So hopefully yeah. we get in there before that happens. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, right, so referee for this game, uh, Scott Tallis from the West Midlands. It's his first season as an EFL referee. He's taken charge of six games so far this season, handing out 23 yellows and one red card. So that's not too bad, to be fair. Uh, last season, he handed out 61 yellows and two red cards in 19 games in the National League. And he's never previously taken charge of a United game. So it's the first time he's refereed us. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> to be honest. I'm not really I sure. I might get in there now and say he's crap before it's cool. Yeah. You do that. You do that. Head to head wise, similar to the uh, Derby game. It's the 23rd meeting between the two sides. Unfortunately, our record against them is not as good as it is against Derby. Five wins out of those 23 games. Nine have been a draw. And the chair boys have won eight. I'm trying to work out. I'm just going to double check this. When was the last time we actually won at Wickham? I was looking at it the other day. I have a feeling. Have we ever? We definitely have. Let me just double check this as we're talking. So. I think the last time we won at Wickham Wanderers 
God, this website's so slow. May well have been. Oh, we won there a couple of years ago. <laughs> I oh, thought it was longer. We won there with a, Jamie Procton and Re- Reggie Lamb scored the goals. <laughs> was that the game that we didn't have? Like, there was a kit clash and we had no, to wear our training I kit. I think it might have been the season after. I've got a feeling it was the season after that one. Okay. Um, is that not the one where we lost 4 3? I, I don't remember. know. In fact, you might be right there, actually. Or was it the one where we lost 3 2? That was a shambles. I remember that because I was on a, a plane, I think, when that happened. Ridiculous. But um, but there you go. Um, yeah. So there we are. Uh, that's the head-to-head stats. Um, as we mentioned, last time out, they lost 3-1 at Wickham. Uh, sorry, at Charlton, even. Um, their first defeat in five. Overall form-wise, uh, they sit uh, third in the last six games form table. A record of one drawn, one, 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 and then lost. Um and United are currently 22nd with a record of lost, lost, one, drawn, drawn, lost. So we're not particularly great in this last six form no. games form table at the moment, but it doesn't concern me too much at the moment. Looking at their recent results there, I mean, 2-0 win over Blackpool is a decent result for them, to be fair. And mm. you know, even a 2-1 win at Bristol Rovers, who are you know, a team in fairly decent put form, aren't they? So there you go. Yeah, um, but a draw against Burton at home. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, last season was a challenging season for them, wasn't it? Because they lost their long-serving manager, long-serving manager in the league. I think he still was then, wasn't mm. he? Or maybe one of the longest. Gareth Ainsworth, who went to QPR. Brought in Matt Bloomfield, who'd only just been appointed at Colchester, hadn't he, I think, at that point. Mm. So um, a, a big opportunity for him, their former captain coming in. Um, teams have done a fairly solid stop job so far, though, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's, it's always difficult coming into a team. Uh, I think, did he came through in the summer, didn't he? Uh, no, no, he came sort of February-ish, I think it was. I think it was just uh, okay, after... Was he, did he, I think he took charge against us and then left like a few days later, possibly, or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but okay. was, I'm pretty sure he was manager of Colchester when he left. Not long after, I don't know, anyway. But basically, he's, he's done okay, I think, since he's gone in there, really. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Right, uh, let's do the play for both for this one. Uh, not a huge amount to choose from. I don't know what Dan's picked because I haven't had a chance to listen beforehand, so let's see what Dan picked for the play for both for this game. There's uh, quite slim pickings on uh, the play for both this week. So what I've done is I've focused on what I'm pretty sure is our only Colombian-born player in our history, and that is Angelo Balanta. Uh, Angelo was born in Cali in Colombia, quite famous from the uh, Cali Cartel in the Netflix series Narcos and uh, he moved to England with his family when he was five and he grew up in the Fulham area and uh, he was taken on by QPR through their youth system and uh, he played a few games for QPR but he was he was sent out on loan a fair bit as well and uh, his first loan was actually Saturday's opponents uh, Wickham, I think he, he scored three goals in 11 in the league for them not bad for your first loan. He then spent three seasons where he had loans at Milton Keynes. And again, he, he racked up a, a good 50 or so appearances and scored about a dozen or so goals. Uh, he had a, another loan at Yeovil before making a move to Bristol Rovers for the season. Uh, and after leaving Bristol, he ended up at ourselves. But uh didn't really happen for Angelo here. Uh I think it was one goal in seven league appearances and he uh he drifted on to what i call the the m25 
roundabout uh, when he signed for Boreham Wood. But uh, he actually did quite well at Boreham Wood. He scored a few goals in uh, over 80 appearances. And then he um, he moved further east along the 25 to Dagenham and Redbridge, uh, where he was for about four or five years there. And uh, I think his league appearances was 35 goals in 118 appearances. That's, that's, that's a decent record. He's now actually uh, back at Boreham Wood, and you may just well hear his name in X-Blues. Pretty comprehensive there from Dan, yeah. Interesting yeah. one, Balanta, isn't he, really? It's a, I'm just looking back. I'm looking at his stats here right now, actually, with us, um, and trying to see. I think he was an unused sub against Liverpool, wasn't he, in in the Cup game, if I remember right. I think right he was, right. yeah. I'm just double-checking that now while we talk. I, re- I remember he played very well in the home game against Chesterfield yes. um, in the run-up to that game. The game where Kevin Osai scored that cracker. Yeah. He scored, yeah, he did that there, but he also played against QPR, his former club, in the next round. And again, mm. had another good game there. But unfortunately for him, yeah, he was an unused, he was an unused sub alongside De- uh, David Atkinson and Troy Archibald Henville. God, he was still with us then. Um, at Anfield. So, yeah, just a little bit unlucky not to feature in that game, really, in that sense. I mean, done all the hard work in the previous rounds, but uh, but there you go. No, great shout out there, Angelo Balanta. Um, he's the first one on the list. I'll, I'm going to go through the rest of them because it's not too long. Stuart Green, he had a loan spell there as well. At, uh, in fact, not sorry, loan spell. He was permanently there for a while. Mo Harkin, he was an interesting one. He was one at the start of the, um, was it the Roddy Collins season? He was, wasn't he? He was one of the many, like, millions of one-month contract players we had at the start of that season, I think, the first mm. season he was in charge. Tony Hemmings. He, Tony Hemmings was part of the uh, Wickham side that played in the Football League, the first season the Football League. Um, and obviously played against us on the opening day of that season, I think, actually. Richard Keogh, he's had a couple of spells there, similar to us. Um, Jordan Musto, Stephen O'Halloran, John Sutton, Martin Taylor, who was quite a legendary keeper with uh, Wickham. He only had a little short loan spell with us. I think we mentioned him the other week, actually. He was at Derby, too. Um, and uh, Magno Vieira as well. He had a spell with Wickham. So there you go. Right, let's talk about United for this game. Uh, Mike, um, what, what's your thoughts? What are you thinking? Do, do we need to make changes for this one? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, the whole goalkeeper debate, I am more of a fan of Holy, but I wouldn't expect to see a change there. Um, I think the rest of the team will be unchanged, uh, provided there's no injuries. I think I tend to agree with you. I think I think the issue we've got is that none of the fringe players showed enough to show that they're worthy of starting mm. in this game. I think particularly, I think Alfie McCallum might be a bit disappointed with himself. I think that midfield's going to stay the same, probably. Defence, back three, I can't see that changing. I think Corey Whelan sounds like he was unlucky to miss out the midweek cup game against Carlos City of Illness. He'll probably just keep his place on the bench, you'd guess. Um, yeah, that, the only one I've got to debate is, that, like I said, reviews either Holy and maybe Jack Ellis possibly as well, pushing for place. But again, did he do enough? I do wonder if maybe that... Do we stick with Plange and Maguire and still trying to get this partnership together? Is it working yet? Well, you know, none of the other strikers are doing enough for me to warrant starting, you know. No, that's the problem. And Garner and Abladi have worked so well as subs. You'd, yeah. You do wonder. And I, th- I think they work well as a partnership as well, which probably doesn't help really in terms of one mm. of them coming in. I think if you were going to bring one player in, I'd probably bring in Edmondson, weirdly enough. Rather than rather than bringing one of Garner or Abladi, I think you'd have to bring mm. them both in for me, but that's just my opinion on that one. But there you go. Uh, yes, so looking ahead to the next six fixtures as well, Mike. 
it's, it's a tough run the next three isn't it obviously we've got this game against Wickham then a home mm. game against Peterborough an away game against Bolton that, that's a tough run then a home game against Lone that you'd think you've got a target for, to get your three points from surely yeah. you think um, that's followed by a, a tough trip down to Portsmouth and uh, a home game against Burton which it's got to be three points from you'd think yeah. surely got in midweek and then the, the trip down to Cambridge Again, if, I would have looked at that as possibly three points at the start of the season, but actually they've started well. and they've maybe started point, really well, yeah. Maybe a point wouldn't be a bad result from it, would it? But there you go. Mm. Uh, I think these next three games, I would bite your hand off for three points from three games. Yeah, honest. 100%. I think I'd agree with you on that one, to be fair. Uh, four, maybe, if I'm being a little bit greedy, but there you go. Um, okay, prediction time. Uh, points haven't changed. None of us predicted a 2-0 defeat. We are all very optimistic, weren't we? But uh, yeah. what are you going to go for for this one, mate? I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw with mm-hmm. Big John getting a goal. Okay, 1-1 draw. Um, uh, do I be optimistic and go for a 2-1 win? Yeah, why not? I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. I think we're going to nick a 2-1 win. Goals from Sean Maguire and Owen Moxon to get the other. Right, here's Dan's prediction for the game. I'm going to probably go against the grain of uh, a lot of fans after Saturday's defeat. And I'm going to predict a 2-1 win for us. Uh, I think we've not done too bad on the road so far. And some of our performances have maybe justified a little bit more. So why not get a little bit more this week? Uh, Goal scorers. I'm going to go for Callum Guy and... Luke Plange. 2-1 win. Up the Blues. There you go. So we've gone for a strike and a midfielder each, me and Dan, but he's gone for two different ones. So there you go. Right, on to the XFL section, Mike, to wrap things up. Um, let's go through the goal scorers and cards from the weekend first. Jerry Yates. He's in a good, had a good start to life at Swansea City, hasn't he? His third league goal. in the He got the one in the 3-0 win over Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday having a tough time of it back in that league, aren't they? Yeah, Darren Moore looking a weird choice. Yeah, well, what it was is Darren Moore wanted a lot more money, and they basically just said no. But he wanted what was in line with what championship managers typically get paid. Yeah, and he got Um, them up there. You deserve a pay raise, don't you? Then yeah, yeah. strange that one. Mm. There you go. Charlie White he scored for Wigan, but it was a four-one defeat for them at Bristol Rovers, as we mentioned earlier. Geffen Jones he was sent off for Bolton Wonders in their one-one home draw with Peterborough United. Now. I don't know whether this was a what kind of record it was because if it's a free game ban, mm. I think he'll miss the game against us, won't he? If yeah. I'm right, possibly. I'll have to double check on that one. Uh, Andy Cook, he had a bit of a goal drought at the start of the season, but he ended that in style. Scored a hat trick for Bradford in their four-one win at Newport County. Paddy Madden, he got on the score sheet as well for Stockport County in their five-nil hammering of Wrexham. Brilliant. Can't wait to see that in the documentary, can you? <laughs> That'll be good. Um, this is one Dan actually missed from the list, so I'm pulling him up on this. This is checking whether he's listening or not, right? Ethan Walker, he scored a late equaliser for Morecambe as they drew 2-2 at home against Swindon Town. Brennan Dickinson, he's having a terrific start of life for Oldham, isn't he? Oh, he really is, yeah. Um, really pleased for him. Yeah, because he, like, he had a horrible time at us, didn't he, mm. really, in terms of the, you know, the, the injuries and stuff like that. So it's nice to see him actually getting and a He's a, a, he's a player who doesn't score tap-ins either, is he? No, I'd imagine they're going to be absolutely screaming with every single goal he's scored, mm. isn't he? Um, I'm just double-checking here to see what where he is, because before we go any further on this, just because I feel like he might be top of the 
scoring shots possibly even in that division. No, he's not. He's not even. Is he top 10? Yeah, he's top 10. Five goals since he's coming. But yeah, he scored two goals for Oldham in their 4-0 win over Oxford City. Uh, Angelo Blanta, as Dan mentioned, he scored for Boreham Wood in their 2-1 home defeat to Aldershot Town. Michael O'Halloran scored for Dunfermline Athletic in their 3-1 home win over Green and White. We didn't mention his name very often, actually. O'Halloran. Mm. Uh, Stephen Rigg and Dan Holdsworth, they both scored in... Uh, Dan Wordsworth. That, did I say Holdsworth? <laughs> God. That name stuck in my head. Right, try that again. Stephen Rigg and Dan Wordsworth scored for the goals for Workington in their 2-1 win at Bradford Park Avenue. Into midweek, Angelo Blanta was scoring again. He scored two goals for Boreham Wood as they earned a 2-2 draw at AFC Fylde. Liam Noble was a naughty boy. He got sent off for Morpeth Town in their 1-1 no. draw with Geisley. They were 1-0 down when he got sent off as well. And this was three minutes to go. And they still managed to get a 1-1 draw after he'd been sent off. So there, great stuff for Morpeth. And finally, it was an ex-Blues Gold Fest at Borough Park in midweek. Stephen Rigg, David Symington and Simon Grand scored the goals as Workington beat Lancaster City 2-1. And just one more little bit that Dan put in the group. Um, Harry Arter is causing a bit of a fuss at Nottingham Forest, isn't he? Because um, he's refusing to uh, terminate the remaining two years of his 40k a week contract at Nottingham Forest. And I didn't read his article, I just saw the screenshot that Dan put up, but... Uh, if, if he's done nothing wrong, then it, then why would he? Yeah, I don't mind players doing this, to be honest. Like Gareth Bale at Real Madrid a few years ago. If clubs want to offer players that much for that long, well... Yeah. yeah, It's a stupid know. fault, you know. If, you, if you're going to throw the cash about, you can't then come blaming that player because oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on it. Mm. You know, it, it, there are some reports that he turned up overweight for pre-season training. Well, if that's the case, then fine him. I'm mm. sure he's going to be devastated to lose that 40k a week alongside the other 40k's a week he's been getting, but... But there you go. So yeah, Harry Harter is. Um, uh, I get the impression he's very much fallen out of love with the game, really, hasn't he? Mm. The way things are going for him at Forest, which is quite sad because he's a very good footballer. You know, we saw that when that brief loan spell he had with us. But I think he shame. had a couple of things happen off the pitch, didn't he? He um, did as well. To be fair, yeah. I think that you've got to consider those things too. But uh, but there you go. Uh, well, that's it then, Mike. That's wrapped up for this week's episode. Um, lots of good news in there, alongside the the, the defeat. It, it's it's an exciting time to be a car fan, isn't it? I think it's fair to say. Definitely. And, you know, I think I've always, well, had optimism about where this club can go and I've always thought, ah, maybe, maybe not, maybe I'm just naive, but if other people can see that potential that the club has and they've got the money and the skills to back it up, well, it could be a very, very exciting time to be a Carlisle fan. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, just to say a big thank you once again to our sponsors, the London Bunch, for their support this season and uh, for sponsoring the show. Um, up next, uh, we're going to try and get a recording of a match review and of the Wickham game and a preview of the Peterborough game on Monday, aren't we? I think we're going to try and fit that in, possibly, but we'll, yeah. we'll see what we can do. Um, either way, we'll get something out on, on, to review the Wickham game and the Peterborough game, I think, uh, either way. And uh, yeah, that's it, I think. You know, we're just waiting to see now for the announcement about the takeover. We're hoping... We're hoping we'll get a chance to speak to the Piatics after the takeover is done. Because uh, obviously Dan's involved in Kursk, as you all know, and he's had a chat with them. And I think reasonably confident we'll be able to sort something. So if we do that, well, we'll be looking for a couple of listener questions as well for that, I think, as well. So there you go. Mike, a pleasure as always. Cheers. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. And up the blues. Up the blues. Are united between the sun and the moon? Oh, 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 oh,
USA, 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 USA. That's going to wind up some of our funds, definitely. <laughs> Up the blaze.